Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Besties. Welcome, everyone, to VO Booth Besties, our VO 101 series. The goal of this series is to provide current and credible information to folks who are newer to the voiceover industry and want to learn more from pros who know. There is so much information out there, and it can be quite overwhelming. Our goal is to ease those feelings. Each week, we have a new topic and occasionally a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. Speaking of which, are you on our mailing list? Swing by boothbesties.com and submit your email to be added. And also be sure to join our Facebook group to stay connected with the besties. Now, let's meet our speaker today. Sean Daly is a Seattle-based voice talent with over 10 years of experience creating voiceovers for commercials, corporate narration, audiobooks, guided tours, e-learning modules, and video games. With a youthful voice tinged with wisdom, he is frequently cast as teachers, doctors, and executives, and even the occasional prince. With his educational and performance backgrounds, he marries his love of the written word with an honest desire to connect with his audience through effective communication and impactful performances. Sean is also a coach for both adults and teens. He is the manager of the Global Voice Acting Academy's membership program, where he helps GVAA's members receive the resources and support they need to reach their own voiceover goals. Welcome, Sean. We're glad you joined us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm truly flattered to be here. We are excited to have you. And I wanted to add that Sean also coaches kids. And um, and I can personally vouch for his coaching because I have coached with him and my teenage son coached with him and JT's son, Devin, coached with him as well. So we're all big fans of Sean. Okay, now, no pressure, Sean. Just starting out. <laughs> I know. I was actually going to bring that up, too. So, But I'm curious, too, like, what made you, what made me top of mind for this topic for you? So for me personally, it was because I came into the idea of character voices thinking, this is something I'll never use because I have no interest in animation. And coaching with you kind of opened my eyes to the fact that I could use these character voices and learn to develop different aspects of my own voice to help me in my voiceover career. It wasn't strictly animation. And that was a, a big brain change for me. The other reason I love you, and I just would say this to everybody, is that you taught me not to tell myself stories about what I cannot do and I'm not capable of. And I think that was really an important pivot in my career because I was just like, I don't do animation. And, and the besties have all heard me say this multiple times. I'm like, that's just not something that I do. But you're like, well, why not? And mm -hmm. I was like, well, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Personal limitations. I don't know. But that that's amazing. And and I've actually been sort of noticing this trend a lot, too. I mean, if if you've been pursuing voiceover for a while, you often hear that it's important to to specialize, to to find your niches, right? And and so for some people, maybe you're really casual conversational, but you're not like overtly expressive. So you might think, ah, animation, video games, it's not for me, right? But as you said, that can be a misconception and and a misperception of what it actually is. I'm seeing in my own career and in, in, in working with, with aspiring talent and, and some of the wonderful coaches at, at GVAA that 
acting is acting is acting. And <laughs> what you learn from one category or one genre can really cross pollinate and improve your performances in other areas. Ooh, cross pollinate. I love that concept. Um, you, Cause you can come up with a totally new plant or product, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and I hear this idea all the time when, when someone is, is breaking into character acting and, um, they're like, wow, I, where did that voice come from? I had no idea I had that in me, you know, and, and very often it's, I, I feel like a lot of people struggle with character work because it's sort of that open invitation to be uninhibited. And we have so few opportunities to do that. <laughs> and, and maybe we spent the last couple of decades of, of having a bunch of internal and external factors telling us to shut up and sit still and not be so obnoxious and all that stuff. So people, when they're given that opportunity to be loud, to be uh, maybe even offensive, sometimes people just clam up, you know, and, and they're not ready for it. So uh, that I just think character work is a true liberating experience that people should try right because it can be very cathartic it can be very liberating like you said to realize oh wow this is there are potential avenues i did not realize were available to me <laughs> well and that's it brings me to my very first question which is when we're starting in our voiceover journey and we talk about character voices where else do you find that these voices can fit besides just animation and video games yeah, I mean, obviously, those those are the obvious choices because, I mean, they're, they're, they're the most broadcast versions of that. But you have characters in commercials, you have audiobooks, any kind of like a lot of fiction, especially sci-fi and fantasy, um, like uh, mobile games, for example. Um, I do a lot of e-learning for especially for kids and young adults that uh that involve character voices one of my favorite uh projects in my bio i mentioned the occasional prince i got to do this sort of like fashion simulator app where basically the, these girls are princesses preparing for the ball where they get to dance with the prince and if they do it right i get to be like wow you're the most beautiful princess i've danced with tonight you know so it's, you never know where these opportunities come up that's really cool. What a, what a, I bet my kids have used that app. <laughs> I don't know. I, they love those fashion design apps. But um, so how do you feel like we can marry voiceover and characters as well? Because that's where I found it's pretty fun. And I want to hear your your take on that. Well, as I mentioned earlier on, a lot of I mean, people who do well with character work tend to be um, not necessarily extroverts, but comfortable being expressive. Right. And and committing to big emotions. So like a, or how that translates to voiceover is, again, it, it's about being interesting and, and being charismatic and confident in your performances. And it kind of allows you to think outside the box and, and to try a variety of ideas, even for something like a bank spot. Right. Um, yes. So you might be uh, like, if you're trying to create a character for this, you might be like, oh, who, maybe I work for the bank. I'm a representative for the bank and I'm helping a young couple or something, or maybe I'm a member of the young couple. But 
character work can also help you come up with more fully fledged characters for this scenario, right? Like, um, let's see, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> Maybe like a crazy uncle who made some poor business decisions and has to <laughs> take out a personal loan. I don't know. But um, but again, it gets you to be like, I find that um, working with a lot of us beginning talent we tend to try and find that perfect read, you know, and, and, and like, we're, I feel like very often we have a strong idea in our head and we're working towards it. And we keep trying to hone our performances doing take after take until we get something we're happy with. Uh, but very often that just kind of squeezes all the life and creativity out of the performance where character acting shines is that encourages you to be versatile and not to be married to one idea so that when the director comes to you and be like, well, that was great, but not quite what we had in mind, you're not like a deer in headlights and you can provide some other options. I love it. So for someone who might feel like, I, I don't know how to come up with characters. I don't know how to do this. Is that something that can be taught or is it something people just have. Like you, you, you meet these people who've been doing voices since they were children. You know, I bet you're one of them. Oh, uh, definitely. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of those. So talk to somebody like me who's like, I have variations of Alicia, but that's all I got. How do I come up with more characters? I love that you brought that up. Everyone has different sides of themselves. We all play a variety of characters just in the different social roles that we play. Right. For example, like I'm an actor and a teacher, but I'm also a son. I'm also a boyfriend. Um, I'm an uncle. Right. And I act differently uh, in each of these situations. Right. Like we, we talk about this idea of register, how um, or, or this is a linguistics concept, but it's just like we, we interact with different people um, in, in different tiers of authority in different ways. We interact with our parents differently than our teachers and differently than a policeman or a post office worker or a waiter, right? So each one of those interactions, each one of those registers is an opportunity to find a new character, right? Like if you've ever been asked to speak on a topic that you're passionate about, obviously you're going to be a lot more animated and engaging than being asked to do something you're not prepared for right? You might be, you might clam up, you might get nervous. Um, I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, that was great. So how do you personally develop different characters for different projects? Do you have a method that you use that you can walk us through or is it just inherent? Well, as you said, sometimes the idea just comes out, right? Like, and like, for example, one of my first animated roles was this kind of cutesy villain called the rat you know and he was kind of inspired by a lot of the villains that i grew up with like like skeletor and um and, and other villains of that milieu but so so it's a combination of kind of my own media influences looking at the the picture and description of the character if it's provided um uh reading the script and seeing looking for moments that i might be able to amplify it with maybe some some non-verbals some some breathing some grunts some stuff like that. Um, and then other times it can be, uh, like you said, sometimes it's just adapting my own voice to the character, right? So um, 
I, I, I get asked to do a lot of like youthful characters, like boy geniuses or teens and stuff, or like teen heroes and stuff like that. So very often, maybe I just sound a little bit more nerdy than I usually do, or, you know, maybe I just try to make myself sound a little bit more confident and heroic. So it's, it's just a, a lot of people get this idea that like, I got to do character work. My voice got to be modulating all over the place, you know, and that's. <laughs> like everyone should have a crazy hillbilly in their back pocket but that's not the point it's again it's finding subtle changes in 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 paying attention to how or basically to people right how do we act in different emotional situations right like a lot of people tend like for example if very often you're asked to play like an angry character um we 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 talk about in some of our workouts like the low hanging fruit is just, I'm angry. I'm broadcasting that I'm angry. I'm loud. I mean, all that stuff. Well, that's not necessarily an interesting choice and can actually be off putting towards your audience. But what about those characters that are just seething underneath the surface? And you know, but you're terrified of what they might do, right? That is way more interesting than the big blustery choice, right? So, right. But so those two the, choices are two, like, could be two takes, right? Like two absolutely. different options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you could put the more interesting one up front and then kind of do, and, and this is something that I do in a lot of cases where, where I'm asked to do two or three takes, is try and have the strongest one up front, or maybe it's my personal choice, the one I want them to hear, and then make sure I still do a take that, that honors the spec or, or what they might be more expecting, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you, I just have, this is a curiosity question. Do you pick up characters when you're out in public? <laughs> I know we, <laughs> we went to a restaurant not that long ago and there was this, this girl that was at the table next to us and she was so loud. We could hear their entire conversation and she was clearly trying to impress her boyfriend's mom that, that they were at dinner with boyfriend, fiance, husband. I don't know. It was clearly not her mom. And she, the way she talked, I kept thinking the whole time, I didn't think people really talked like this in real life. And I won't do that person, the discredit of, of pretending that voice, but, but I have used that voice since then more than once. And, um, and it, my kids get a big kick out of it. Cause I'll pull it out from time to time. And they're like, Oh, you're doing the restaurant girl voice again. So do you pick up characters like that? Exactly. Like I said, a lot of my characters are inspired by, by like my influences, but I've always had an ear for, for voices. And, and it doesn't have to be straight up mimicry, right? I mean, you're finding that being asked for less and less. And, and voice matching is a bit of an advanced skill where you might need to be in a specific market to take full advantage of. But being, I, I encourage people to to try and mimic, even if they don't think of themselves as one, but try to imitate the voices that you hear. Because believe it or not, it's great if it doesn't sound anything like the original, because then it's an original character, right? Like nobody can call you like, oh, that was the restaurant girl if they can't recognize it, right? They might just say, oh, this is an obnoxious person that's overselling themselves, right? So I'm basically, you should find inspiration everywhere, right? Uh, One of the kind of backing up to one of the other ways that I, I create a character is a big part of it is understanding archetypes. And you see, like we, we've joked that like there's no original storytelling under the sun, but you notice patterns, 
right? Like, I want you to pay attention for people like the reluctant young hero, the the maniac, the joker, the harlequin, the femme fatale, right? We talked about that when uh, we worked together, Alicia, like we were working on a Catwoman script. And I was just like, believe it or not, your voice is a good femme fatale because of your your confidence and your assertion, right? So we we played with that and it gave you a sandbox to use that sound. And it was a lot of fun because that's not that's not part of my personality. <laughs> so it was really fun to be like, oh, I can be this thing that isn't me. That was that was really fun. So, Sean, how important is physicality to you in your performance with characters? Do you get really into it in the booth? Oh, definitely. Like if you're not sweating during a character thing, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that it, it it really helps. And I encourage people to some people are naturally gesticulators, you know. Um some some more so than others. And for me, I feel like a part of one of the reasons that I'm very physical with my my gestures is that I actually taught ESL for a number of years. So I had to really like use my use multiple methods to illustrate points, right? And and try to enhance my comprehensibility. Um and and one thing that physicality allows you to do is it helps compensate for the lack of other senses, right? A lot of voice acting, or specifically character work, is creating what I like to call an oral illusion, right? Like an ear illusion. And like, think of all the things that we might not make a vocal sound for in real life, right? Like nodding our head or, or shrugging our shoulders or or getting up, right? But if I get up silently, you can't, there's no context for the audience. They don't know what's happening. As opposed to if I'm like, yeah, and stretching and stuff like that, you can hear the movement. And it just, the more life and the more vocal context you can provide for your audience, that it's going to increase your booking ratio and it's just going to improve your performances. That's awesome. I'm literally over here taking notes. Um, good, good. That's luckily recorded. <laughs> awesome. Yes. So how much range do you think a character, an actor should have in their character arsenal? Like, do you need to be able to do a dozen accents before you're really marketable in animation? Or um, is it just a couple that you can tweak? Like, where do you feel like they need to be? Probably far fewer than people think. <laughs> so so um for example uh or, or say you're making a character demo for for animation or video games honestly i wouldn't put more than like five to eight characters on it because it's first off this is showcasing your best work right nobody cares if you can do a hundred accents or character voices if they're middling or crappy Right. So we we want it to be the absolute best things that you can do that you can that, you know, like the back of your hand backwards and forwards. Um, and it doesn't have to like I mean, accents and vocal quirks can be very helpful, but many an actor has made a career from just their natural voice in, in changing the attitude. Right. Or or even better, just knowing what characters you sound like having that objective perspective. Um, one of my favorite 
voice actors is a gentleman named Matthew Mercer, and he does a, a great variety of, of accents and stuff like that. But his normal voice works great for like CIA agents, um, like even teen voices, uh, some cops or assassins, right? But he's not doing huge modulations or accents to convey that. That's awesome. Lori Allen, we interviewed her on Monday night, and she mentioned that you really need to know who your celebrity prototypes are. Like, what are the, the people your voice sounds like? And that's a good place to start. So that being said, what do you tell people who boast that they can do impressions of other actors? Ah, ah well, unless that actor dies, they're probably not going <laughs> to do that job. So, and, and, and honestly, do you want to build a career as an imitator? Right. Is that what you want to be known as? Um, and and this was this was a hard pill for me to swallow, too, because, I mean, that's how I came into it. I was like, yeah, I've got this great vocal versatility. I can do all these um, accents and impressions and stuff like that. And and nowadays, I mean, it, it was just a complete misperception of what the job is. It, it really is about being an actor and a creator above um, an imitator. Right. So, I mean, imitation's easy by comparison. You've got a template that you can reference. Right. When it comes to breathing or breathing new life into a silent character, there's a lot of there's responsibility to that. And, and like you were saying before, for some people, it can be a really mystifying process of character creation. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious how often and uh I'm sure there's a lot of people who could answer this question in a variety of different ways, but how often does someone book you and say, I heard this voice on your demo. That's the voice I want. Like I want that creepy hillbilly voice or whatever. <laughs> well, um, it's, I don't know. I can't think it like, uh, I was like, I actually see that more with some of my commercial clients or it's like, we like this spot on your demo. Please apply that to this piece. But, um, so very often, like, uh, it's usually more auditions than, than what I provide on the demo. Uh, demos are great for soliciting agencies and stuff like that and some independent companies. But more often than not, the audition is what, like, people are, are looking for. Right. We put so much emphasis on the demo in our um in our current voiceover, voice acting community that sometimes I think we overemphasize that, right? Like... The, it's more important to be auditioning and, and developing those characters behind the scenes. So you've been in the business a while now. Tell me, how have you seen the industry change over the years when it comes to characters and animation? So what kind of changes, especially recently, have you seen? That actually dovetails nicely off of what we were talking about with all the, um, like the accents and the mimicry and stuff like that. Uh, so what I'm seeing now is is a much like much louder call for authenticity um, in, in representation and casting. And so, um, like for example, in the '80s and '90s, it was perfectly acceptable for for say white actors to portray um, any ethnicity, really. Like so, um, and some some performances were more respectful than others, um, but. Nowadays, we're really trying to get actors like of those ethnicities to do specific characters. And, and that's wonderful. And that's also a reason why I discourage people to like to rely on uh, too much on some of these accents. Right. 
Um, because I'm seeing a lot of, if they want an Irish voice, they'll, they'll cast an Irish actor. Like, right. They have that option yeah. now. Um, so like, that doesn't mean, like I said before, there are areas where that's still useful, like audiobooks where you're pretty much the whole cast and things like that. Um, and again, it's, it's important to experiment with what your voice can do. Um, so, so that's one area is again, this, this call for authenticity and just in, in like uh, taking race out of it for a second, just very naturalistic performances uh, across the board. <laughs> so, um, and, and people being more interested in like, I, I feel like a lot of voice talent came into the business because they had a combination of a great voice, acting talent and charisma. But now we're like, what is a good voice is really subjective. And, and we want to hear a lot more realistic, what you might think of as unflattering or, or um, like, or I don't know, it's just not some of the sonorous or rich and resonant bassy sounds that we're used to, right, or to, that we might have grown up with. So yeah. uh, I'm just hearing a, a wild variety in that. And again, it's it's really, I want to encourage people about being as comfortable with their voice and as possible, right? Because that's what you're going to be asked to do the majority of the time, <laughs> right? And And sort of, again, having that objective perspective. For example, I'm almost 40, but I sound 17. So I need to like, like I rarely try out for a lot of like older commercial stuff or older characters like generals and wizards and stuff like that. I'm a lot more like the young protagonist or something like that um, or the humorous side character. So again, um, finding or accepting your natural voice, but also experimenting with that voice in, in finding all of the attitudes and in characters within it. I love that. And I, I really like what you just brought up about finding and understanding your natural voice, because I feel like that's actually a lot harder than we realize. I spent the first three years of my career believing I had an older, mature sound because I thought that that was how what my voice was. That's how and you perceived yourself. Yeah, that is how I perceived myself. <laughs> I guess I think I'm very old and mature, but um, <laughs> I think you're very mature, but you have a youthful <laughs> voice. Yes, and I had no idea until I did a coaching. Um, I did a actually an audition workshop with um, Natasha Marchevka, and mm -hmm. she sent back and she was like, you're, "One of the words, the biggest word I use to describe your voice is youthful," and I nearly spit my water out. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> So how do people go about determining that? I mean, other than coaching, which is the obvious answer here, like you really do need to work with someone who can help you identify what your sound is. Um, but besides that, what are some ways that people can begin to become more comfortable with understanding how they sound? Um, well, for, there are a couple of things. Just when I uh, wanted to kind of uh, highlight the coaching aspect too, because sometimes we have to defend why training is good. <laughs> silly thing but anyways the reason why coaches are so important because really what they're providing is an expert objective perspective so like you like you said you had this very concrete perception of yourself and um it, it took hearing from multiple or from a source or maybe multiple sources that you're younger than you thought right so i mean and and that knowledge can change your 
trajectory, right? The work that you pursue with that new understanding. So, so I recommend that. And again, a lot of it is to, or another suggestion for getting more comfortable is practice, right? And, and uh, try and like, I'm really guilty of this. When I grew up, I, like I used to be very, very self-conscious about my voice. <laughs> and um, I remember hearing my, I was like 10 or 11 years old in middle school. I was asked to do the, uh, the sort of the student news um, for my school. And then I heard it back for the first time. I was like, oh my God, like, I, <laughs> didn't, I was so embarrassed. And, and, and so immediately after that, I started talking like this for a couple of years. And it's just like in really just like overmodulating, trying to make it sound as rich and sonorous as possible. Um, and, and people call you on that. Now that, that style is, is out of style. Like people don't want perfection. They want realism. I love that. The people don't want perfection. They want realism. That's, that's a great point. And on that point, I'm going to turn it over to NJ real quick for our half hour. Well, this is, yeah, this has flown by. Holy moly. So we're at the half hour. Uh, we'll do a quick room reset for those of you who've just joined us. We are VO Booth Besties, and this is our VO 101 series where we discuss fundamental topics about getting into the voiceover industry. And today we're discussing how to build characters in voiceover with Sean Daly. Thanks for joining us, and let's get back to the interview. Back to you, Abby. Well, before we continue, and I could ask questions all day, what are the questions that we have in the chat, NJ? All right, hang on. We had a couple. Woo, we got a hot chat today. Uh, Molly uh, Marie says, do you pay attention to where the voice sits in your throat or chest in order to stay in character throughout the read? Ah, okay. I'm glad we brought that up. So one thing that you want to, like when you're, or let me back up a little. I think it's very important to what I call compartmentalize your process. In other words, when you act, you act. When you analyze, you analyze. When you direct, you direct yourself, right? So, for example, a lot of the analysis, that, that placement that you're asking about would be in my analysis stage where I'm not recording yet, but I might be, I'm reading this out loud and, and trying to create a performance that I'm satisfied with. And then I pay attention. Is this comfortable? Is this tense? Is this sustainable, right? Um because you want to go into the performance ahead of time, knowing that you can sustain it for the required amount of time. Right? <laughs> like if you're struggling to do, um, like I, I, I forget what it was for. It was like maybe some orc character for a fantasy game. But I was trying to do something like this. And by the end of it, I was like, well, I'm just going to delete that because I cannot do that for four hours. You know, so it was... And and going back to knowing your voice, like it's probably going to go to a deeper voice actor because they use that depth, that face to convey those larger characters. Um, so I hope I answered the question. But um, like in and this is something that I encourage people with with vocal experimentation is to learn a little bit about um, how we produce sounds with, with placement, right? In, in linguistics, we call it vocal production. Um, so for example, if here's a sound that you've heard very often, right? It, it usually used for nerds or dorks or people like that. This is what's called a lateral lisp, 
And all I'm doing is just placing my tongue between this between my teeth on the side, right? Lateral lisp. So on the right side, it sounds like this. But on the left side, it sounds a little bit different, right? Because there's more tension on that side. Um, if it's in between my teeth, it sounds kind of like a Daffy Duck sound, right? So even when you hear something like give the character a lisp, you've got at least three options you could do based on where you place your tongue in your mouth. So I think one of the really important things you brought up is not only developing a character that you can sustain, but back to being mindful of the throat versus the mouth placement, things like that, is also this making a choice as to when you do certain parts of your, whether it's an audition or your performance, that if you're doing a lot of yelling or you're doing something that strains mouth, throat, you know, is giving you a headache trying to portray this character that you do it at the end of your auditions for the day, or maybe, you know, being mindful of when you do it, because otherwise you really can for video games and things like that, you really can just trash your throat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even with warmups and proper technique, you're still causing damage. <laughs> Basically it's unavoidable. Um, but absolutely. Um, it's not only will I push that stuff to either at the end of the day, or if it's a day that I, that I don't have any other projects lined up, like I'll, I'll do that stuff that day. Um, but it also affects my warm up process. So most days I'll do about a five minute warm up just to kind of make sure I have a baseline of articulation and stuff like that. But if it is a, a character piece, I almost always warm up for like half an hour. Right. So the, the more intense that I think it's going to be like um, uh, I will do a longer warm up for it. Right. So usually half hour seems to be like the, the good baseline, because after that point, you might be exhausting your voice. Right. So you don't want to be too tired before you do the actual performance. Excellent. So in your um, between your performance, auditioning and coaching, how important have you found improv skills to be when um, auditioning, uh, animation, video games, different projects that require a character. Extremely important. Um, because as I talked about before, being a voice actor is, is about being a creator and, and more importantly, being a creative contributor to a team, right? Um, my favorite example of this is that, uh, or backing up a little bit, is that your performance can actually change the trajectory of an animated project, right? So, for example, um, D. Bradley Baker, the voice of uh, of was it Hans the Fish on American Dad? They wanted a French voice. D. doesn't do French; he does German. So he did a German voice, and they're like, "We like what you did, D. But can you do French?" He's like, "No, nah, I don't do French. I do German. If you like it, then hire me." And they did, right? So, so he he really committed to a choice, and he and he stuck by his guns. Another great example is in the movie Aladdin, Robin Williams used all so much of that movie was improvised. Like every celebrity impression was essentially improvised in that film. And that moment where uh, Aladdin's like, oh, genie, I'll just use your last wish to set you free. And he's like, oh, yeah, right. Like and he turns into Pinocchio with the nose and all that. Like that was improvised. And then the, the, the animators like, wait, did he just do Pinocchio? Holy crap, we own Pinocchio. We can add that to the movie. So again, it's about having 
strong ideas that people are like, yes, this is cool. This is, we want to use that. So one of the things I'm going to call AB out here, <laughs> she, she gets, she gets overwhelmed and I'm sure people in the audience feel this way too. This idea of improv, it's like, I'm not Robin Williams. I'm not funny. I'm not witty. I don't, I, her kids even wrote it on a piece of paper for school. Like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm not funny. She, she's not funny, but it, it can be very intimidating when we throw around this word improv, like you need to be prepared to, you know, kind of uh, add on to the script, maybe not change the script, but add to it. And people get real intimidated. They're like, I- I'm-, I'm not funny. I don't. And-, and again, you kind of go back to that place of confidence to be like, I am mm-hmm. confident that, you know, I should approach it this way. So maybe comment on that, but then also that improv kind of an arm of it can also be efforts or sound effects, the grunts, the moans, the mm-hmm. laugh, the sigh. So maybe kind of speak to how you're, you don't have to really come to the table with like dialogue. <laughs> you don't need to be well, like gonna... for that. No, that's great. And, and uh, I, you're right. I think the reason why, where the, the fear and the intimidation comes from is like, people think, Oh God, I have to be funny. You don't have to be funny. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be great. You know, it, it, for example, a, a very common improv exercise to, to breathe life into a piece is what we call a lead-in. So, for example, if I'm doing a corporate presentation, I'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. You know, it could be that simple. As I like to tell people, your improv is not going to win you an Oscar, right? It's just, it, it just has to be simple and make sense. That's it. Like if it makes sense, if it if it doesn't draw attention to itself, no one will question it. If people are overworking it and again trying to make their improv more important than the spot, that's when it's a problem. That's a perfect delineation. I like that. Um, so I'm Celestia has a question, but I actually want to kind of tie this all in together. Can you talk to us about? And we're kind of gearing it more towards using character voices um, for a whatever the genre, but let's use character voice specifically, your audition process. So often in commercial, we, you know, we say you got your two takes, you come into it with what they want, and then you give them your own version. Um, Are you doing the same thing with your audition process? Are you coming to the table with, you know, just multiple characters straight out the gate? Are we doing shades of characters where maybe you're, you're subtle, but maybe you're a little more confident in the next one? Are we doing like total voice change? What's your approach? Or is it really the script? Are you following the specs? Um, So that is a great question. And I find that when it comes to character, if you're going to do two takes, they need to be distinct. Like they need to sound like different characters, right? And not just a subtle deviation or, or minor modulation to the prior performance, right? Um, so an easy way to do that might be one in your natural voice and then one in the character voice, for example. Um, so I, I think that answered that question, but it, it depends on the project. Sometimes I like, sometimes they don't ask for two takes and I have, a really, really strong, like a strong single idea, right? Okay. And and I don't have, I'm not satisfied with any of the other ideas I'm coming up with. So I'll just send them my strongest take. I, I am of a mind that it's better to send them one amazing take than two middling takes. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So for, the, again, this is VO 101. We're still talking about 
you know, really learning who we are, who our voice, what our, you know, who are, what our natural voice is, what he or she, they sound like, um, you know, working on variations of that, getting some coaching. But as we go along, do you find that an animation demo is key or is it more samples? Is it more really just you need to be doing the auditions? Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. All of the above. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it, it, like an, animation demos are very. I mean, it really depends on what your goals are, right? Like, what what pools do you want to play in, right? If you have aspirations for Disney, Pixar, or large networks and stuff like that, you need a demo because that is like that's agency work, right? And you need to get with an agent. You need a compelling demo, right? So we were talking earlier about how much emphasis to put on a demo. You just have to understand what the purpose is for, right? There, like, so your demo is your resume. We don't really exchange resumes in the VO industry, right? You have a demo to show a demonstration of your abilities. And again, that is for soliciting agents, for soliciting some clients. Some, some people just want to hear demos. Um, a lot of clients just want to hear or custom auditions too. So obviously you need to be really good at auditioning. And you have to figure out what platforms that you can find character work, right? I mean, a lot of people look at VO marketing as, as this, this strange labyrinth like that's difficult to navigate. Well, it's not difficult. It's just tedious when you get down to it. Like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel because there's, there's, agent, there's agent jobs, there's online casting, there's uh, direct marketing, right? So learn about those tracks and figure out what seems most relevant to your pursuit. I think that's excellent. We, we talk about the business side of voiceover a lot. So you are just reinforcing that. So, um, let's say I do the audition and I get, I get the job in animation. Does it require a lot of self-direction? Are most jobs, um, Source Connect, Zoom, are you, you know, are you getting the support you need or is a lot of it in your experience, you just, you need to know what you're doing on your own? Um, I'd say the majority of what I do is self-record, but honestly, if I can get a directed session, I will try and schedule it, right? Like I always tell, like if, an, if I'm working with a new director, I'm like, hey, here's how you can do a directed session with me over Zoom. I've done one over Discord, um, like occasionally Source Connect. And, and again, it's just because it's so much easier and more enjoyable for me. Like, I mean, I'm a ham at heart, so it's always nice to perform for someone. Right. And I find that I just a little bit more, I'm more animated. I'm more engaged in those scenarios. And like I said, it, it, it avoids all the back and forth, right? They Absolutely. get what they want in, yep. in as few rounds of recording as possible. Yeah, I'm a huge, I, I just agree with you 100%. To those in the audience, don't, it, it, I know it seems like it could be, again, an intimidating thing to be like, hey, could we just do a directed session? But you know what? It really does. You know exactly what the client wants. You're not doing pickups. You're not going back and forth. You just stay on the call and they get what they want and you're done. And it really is um, something you should try to incorporate into, you know, once you secure a position to say, Hey, and, and, you know, decide for yourself, do you want to charge them a fee or do you, you know, is the job worth enough money that, you know, 
the rate's good enough that you're like, hey, let's just include it. Figure mm-hmm. that out. But I agree. The direct session is is a great way to go. Um, so when you are, one of the things, one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is we can be on a Zoom call or we can be having coffee. We can be on a clubhouse. We are just open and free and loosey-goosey and just feeling good and, you know, like you said earlier, just have the ability to, to it's cathartic and liberating and I can be charismatic and confident. And then I walk, in, I, I walk into the booth and I close the door and I'm like, hi, I'm Jen. And all of a sudden you just turn into this robot, this completely different person. So does Sean Daly have some tips on how to get into character? And you've, you've, you've enclosed yourself in your space. You're, you know, surrounded by four walls and, you know, there's nobody on the other side. How do you get to your character place? Do you have any tips and tricks? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's that's a great problem that I still struggle with. Like, I can do a great take from the comfort of my desk chair. And then when I get into the booth, I'm just like, what happened? Where did that cool exactly. guy go? But anyway, <laughs> I, um, I think this is one of the reasons why warm-ups are so important. Um, and it, because for a couple of reasons, like you have like it, it psychologically prepares you for, for the performance that's going to come and like feeling, feeling more relaxed, feeling more in touch with your brain and your mouth and your body makes you feel more confident and capable to do the performance. Right. So many people are like, Oh, like the, the, they kind of censor themselves at the gate because they're like, they, they don't feel comfortable doing something. Right. Um, And so you need to make it comfortable. If you don't like if you want to experiment with a new character voice, experiment with that character voice. Really like try it on and stretch it out like a nice, comfortable sweater. Right. Um, And and so you can do it at the drop of a hat and you don't have to be afraid if it's going to be injurious or anything like that. Um, Other things you can do, do something that helps you feel the way the character is going to feel. Right. If the character's excited, play exciting music. Right. Like do the Rocky theme or something like that to get yourself pumped. Right. I encourage people to exercise if they have the time. Right. Like um, if you're playing a car- like a, a big chested superhero, it helps to do some like get get your chest pumped up a little bit. Right. Helps you stand up stronger, helps you feel strong and confident and handsome. So. Um, so kind of the too long didn't read is that how you feel when you do a character is more important than how you sound. So you need to feel comfortable and confident in order for the character to be comfortable and confident as the character. It makes sense. It's kind of like dressing for the role, right? When I put Mm -hmm. on, I put on my fancy dress and I feel fancy. I put on my business suit and my glasses and I feel professional or, yeah. Oh yeah. And that's another great tip. Wear costumes, use props, right? Like I know, I know people who have like action figures or other things that they can, they manipulate in the booth to, um, to bring them out, right? A lot of people put inspiring things in their booth spaces or in their office, like, um, pictures of family members or maybe, uh, their own voice acting idols, right? Like I'm a big action figure collector myself. And I like to say that I, I surround myself with inspiration and aspiration. That's perfect. So we have one more question in the chat and uh, we'll, we're coming up on the hour, which is amazing. And so we'll wrap up. But William asked if 
you should take unpaid projects to practice your character voices. I, of course, have a very strong opinion on this. Uh, what would you say to William? So it depends. <laughs> um, I, I Especially it's like low paying and unpaid work can be of great, a uh, like sort of a low stakes way to, to like to practice and, and do, uh, and do this kind of work. And also you can do, um, it's also an opportunity to work with fellow creative collaborators and stuff like that. My thinking is, as long as no one, like, for example, if nobody is getting paid, that's okay, right? Like, as long as no one is being taken advantage of, then then that, or, or maybe it's something like a student project and the money's just not there. Um, but if, if, in, if the story is great, if, if it's something that I'm really interested in and think, feel passionate about, yes, I'll do a low paying or unpaid um, work if I have the time, right? So there are caveats and, and you have to keep in mind that you might not be working, like the level of professionalism might vary from, from what you expect or what you want. And it might not be the best indicator of what a professional uh, character job might be like. So, but again, it just depends on what your goals are. If you just want more practice or if you're trying to build connections with fellow collaborators, then that can be a good reason to do that stuff, right? But again, if like once, once or just have to make sure that you're informed before you sign any contracts and make sure that nobody is making money off of your free labor. You are just speaking my language, Sean, like 100%. That, and it, and it, I, was so, I was so worried you were just going to completely disagree. No, no, because, well, and, and, and let's, let's be honest and, and we'll wrap this up, but you know, if you need to practice and you want practice, like it doesn't have to be connected to a job. Like it doesn't. Uh, record yourself, send it to friends. Record yourself and, you know, just listen to yourself. Uh, connect with peers, connect with some of the besties and say, hey, is this believable? Uh, did you like this? Find some scripts. Do just what you were doing while you were speaking to us. You know, um, just bust out into a voice. See if you can do it. Is it in your arsenal? You know, how quickly can you modulate between different, you know, characters? Um, I don't think it, there's a correlation between I need to practice my characters and I should do it for nothing for a job. Um, mm -hmm. And then furthermore, we've talked about samples before, guys. You should go back uh, to our previous podcast if you want to learn about that. Another thing is, again, it doesn't have to be a job. Work with someone if you're still learning your audio, uh, learning editing and processing. Again, find a peer, someone you can you know work with. Create some samples and 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 do it that way. Again, you are so on point, Sean. That just because I do a project, it could be garbage, and I wouldn't want to put it out <laughs> into the exactly, world. Exactly, exactly. You know? Like don't ne don't let desperation fuel your pursuits. Right. Because it, it, it's not it's not attractive for one thing. And it's like it's like dating, you know, <laughs> but, like you don't want to be seem too desperate. But but again, in, in so much like I love your ideas for. Yes. Create samples. Study like you'd be amazed how many people I know who want to do care, like animation or video games, but don't even watch them or play them like. It, it, now there's no excuse not to research the genres that you're interested in. 
right? Because that's how you find like, oh, I sound kind of like that person. I wonder if I could do that, you know? And, and a lot of people, I feel like a lot of the intimidation comes from seeing people who are just these natural talents. And we forget the invisible work, the years of practice that they did to get to where they are, you know? And, and character work in, in voice acting is about experimentation, right? Like you need to be comfortable having this raw turd that we can actually at some point maybe turn into something nice. Like, so, and, and also being cognizant of like, like I was saying before, how sustainable is this? It, like, how believable is this? Can people even understand me when I talk this way? Right? So, so again, it's a lot of people censor themselves in their head before they even start. You need to get some, like, you need to throw some stuff on the canvas and then judge it. I love that. I'm literally like typing notes. Throw some stuff on the canvas and then judge it. I love that. I, I think that's what I needed to hear as well as I'm sure many people in our audience. Uh, Sean, you have so much wisdom and so many great nuggets of wisdom to share that <laughs> NJ hates it when we say nuggets. <laughs> She's like, Anyway, so JT and I try to throw it in there whenever we can. (laughs) Sorry, but truthfully, you have so many beautiful deposits of information that we can draw (laughs) back on for golden knowledge, whatever we want. But we have made it pretty close to the end of our hour. So we like to ask our guests a couple of, uh, well, three, four fun questions, a little James Lipton style. And so I want to ask you, are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. What singer, band, or composer are you enjoying right now? Ooh. Let's see. Singer, band, or composer. Uh, Let's see. Well, my all-time favorite band, even though I don't think they're together anymore, is Minus the Bear. They're from Seattle. A lot of their songs are kind of just like, I don't know, alternative rock, fun evenings, like trips and travel and stuff like that. And I've been listening to them since I was 17. It sounds fun. Mm-hmm. And what are you a podcast guy? What podcast have you been listening to lately? If so, okay. Well, uh, I am a podcast guy. I have my own podcast, but um, it's the VO Meter. If you want to hear more nuggets of wisdom, but uh, other podcasts I enjoy. I'm a big I'm a big G and D nerd. I like Critical Role. Um, I love Myths and Legends uh, from the Bardic Network, I believe, um, and. Box of Oddities, which is kind of like, um, or two podcasts. It's Box of Oddities and their sister podcast, uh, The Shallow End, which is basically like Darwin Awards. So um, so those are my favorites. (laughs) Those sound fun. I haven't heard of Box of Oddities or The Shallow End. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Box of Oddities is, again, just like strange tales that uh, that people find in the news. Um, And it's interesting because it's like, uh, I actually heard this podcast through my my fiance Rachel, and and at the moment I heard it, it's like wow this stuff's really well produced and they all sound like radio talent and lo and behold they all were at some point so um, so so it's interesting but um, they they are that being said they're all great speakers they do amazing ad reads um, they have that balance of of commercial and conversational that we all long for nice okay and the most important question of all. What is your favorite dessert? Ooh. Hmm. 
We kind of my favorite dessert. Maybe a smoothie, I think. <laughs> I, don't, oh, I don't have a huge sweet tooth. I like fruit is my favorite sweet, actually. <laughs> I'm a big fan of smoothies as well. We have a smoothie place here and I may or may not have like a frequent smoothier card. <laughs> I don't know. Frequent, frequent smoothie I'm miles. A, <laughs> I, I have frequent smoothie miles, lots of them. <laughs> so Thanks again for joining us, Sean, and thanks to our wonderful audience. We love you guys. It's so fun to see your names each week, and uh, we appreciate your support. For anybody new joining us, we want to remind you that View Booth Besties is live two days a week. We invite you to join us on Monday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific and for our VO 101 series on Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific. Meanwhile, be sure to connect with each of us on LinkedIn and join the VO Booth Besties Facebook group. Replays are available to listen to on our website, boothbesties.com, on our YouTube podcast, or anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Be sure to share your comments, like, and subscribe. It means so much to us, but it also means a lot to our speakers as well. They do this, well, we're all volunteers, but certainly sharing so much wisdom and um, expertise, it really helps all of us. So we appreciate that. Sign up for the VO Booth Besties Monday newsletter so you know what's coming up in the week ahead, and you'll find discounts from our affiliate partners as well. Uh, A reminder, this Monday is part of the 4th of July weekend, so we will not have Clubhouse. We want you to enjoy time with your family and friends, and we'll be back here next Thursday with our guest, Nick Redman. Um, For real this time, we promise. We've already worked it out. We got the time zones right. We got everything ready to go. Um, She's going to talk with us about vocal health and breathing techniques and what we can do to keep our cords strong and healthy. Thank you all for being here. Thanks again to Sean, and have a great rest of the day, folks. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. VO Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.